Okay, you want to take it away? Sure. Hello, dear listeners of Never Stay Dead. Woo, listeners. We love listeners. All three of them. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, Damien and I are back with uh, a, a tale to delight. We, we wanted <laughs> to sit down and discuss Detective Comics 1006 and 1007 with Tomasi and Holtz and Baron running the show. Uh, <laughs> Did this story have an overall name? It's it's where the where Batman and the Spectre team up, right? I can't find the title page. Oh, it's way in. There will be blood. Was the title of one thousand six, and the and let it bleed was the title of one thousand seven. Dark and grim, and both covers have a kind of retro feel because um, there is dialogue balloons on the cover. On I'm actually one, the specter say on on 1006 you have failed this city <laughs> and then on 1007 batman or the specter shouts i am vengeance and batman shouts i am the knight I love that, that immediately made me love these issues <laughs> I actually got a variant edition on 106 and I feel like I missed uh, out I'm sorry very tired of all these variant edition covers on every issue it just muddies the waters right and is it one that where dc made like uh there's no text on the cover at all nope yeah, except i mean i for guess the... that makes sense for people who love the art so much the cover art so much but for me the fun of the covers is having the logo and ideally some other cover text on it Nine times out of ten, I agree with you. At least Definitely. for superhero comics. Maybe for something with a different mood than a su- superhero comic should have that fun, pulpy yeah. feel to me. Um, yeah, so... Not that, that co- the cover you showed is quite nice looking and everything. Not... It's just another picture of Batman. Who needs yeah. it? <laughs> Some people seem to collect uh, variant covers like they're collecting posters or something. I don't know if they even yeah. read them. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I know people who buy every edition, they'll set those variants aside and hope they're worth something someday, which they won't be now when they're a dime a dozen. Right. So, so oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, so we was, both read both issues. Uh, you suggested we, we do a podcast about them. So you want to talk about what it's about first? Sure. I mean, it's very much a detective story where... Uh, Corrigan is caught in the middle of this whole thing being tied to the specter and the the entity the specter has reached out to batman himself for help which is fairly crazy um that's you know that's our hook in and by the time we get any more into it we're well into the story so we'll we'll get there I just wanted to talk about these issues because, A, it's two issues. It moves, it's fast, it's punchy. The scale of the story is big without being too big. There's so much right, so much that we ask for in comics that we normally don't see anymore. And right. I it's just... visually big because uh, yeah. they do a great job. I guess the artist, Holtz, does a great job of the idea of the the size changing specter also does a great job with kind of the gothic gotham and gothic looking batman and everything 
but it's also limited to basically one mystery. All of Gotham's not going to be destroyed, just the life of a man and pretend potentially the light, the existence of the specter and such. I get tired of Batman stories where all of Gotham is, is going to be doomed if Batman doesn't succeed. I need that, that to happen once every five years, not once every six months or right and so twice every six months (laughs) there's a few lives at stake right like there's a scheme going on and there's some scale here too because the specters involved this wrath of vengeance of god but it's not it's not some cosmic plot it's it's nothing like that but the fact that the specter needs batman's help is peculiar and i think plays off in some interesting ways throughout this story uh that they're at each other's throats basically the entire time like they don't want to work with each other they hate each other and i love that they're two different levels of old testament fury (laughs) (laughs) if you will i have the old testament in my head actually because of that um second coming book by um mark russell where god sends jesus to go live with a superhero because he wants jesus to toughen up and learn how to be more old testament essentially (laughs) um but anyway i mean the specter is supposedly the vengeance of god and he has no um no mercy whatsoever he always kills and he kills brutally and spectacularly (laughs) and batman is a pretty unmerciful guy i mean there's even in here there's jokes about how you know i'm going to break your jaw because you killed a cop and stuff but he doesn't kill and so we get this philosophical difference between them which creates a lot of the tension and makes this feel like a story that's about something bigger than just solving a murder and in the process of doing that you know hardwell detectives they're they're working over some mook in the alley trying to get some information and specter's literally putting the fear of god into this guy and batman basically tells them to back off and that's when they get their their hook their information and, and batman steps back and says wow i never thought that would happen what being perceived as the good cop <laughs> batman's first time being the good cop yeah and so I Batman suddenly the liberal. <laughs> well, and he's not There's though. There's someone uh, more extreme than you, I guess. Right, but I, I love that because we've had this picture of Batman. Batman's been pretty static for years in my mind. You know, stoic mm-hmm. guy does everything right, da 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 da, and is a total hard ass. This I think not only shook my perception of Batman a bit but also seem to shake Batman's perception of Batman a bit in these pages. I don't think we're going to have any grand reckoning coming out of this book, but for these two issues, Batman's put in a different place than you see him normally, which is really fun for me. I, you know, I want to enjoy Batman more than I normally do. And here that shakeup gave me entry to a character I haven't had in years. Right. So, and I want to, I want to go back on the the plot a little bit because for people who don't know, who maybe haven't read about the Spectre, he inhabits the body of James Corrigan or Jim Corrigan. And I guess the Spectre just comes out of Jim Corrigan's body, James Corrigan's body, or does he, does normally uh, James turn into the Spectre? I think it's one of those more ambiguous things, but the idea is like he's possessed by the specters. So normally when the specter needs to take hold, uh, it does, 
but it, it will kind of ride shotguns. It's almost Firestorm-esque, is my, was my understanding. Right. So the, the play here is that, that these cult members who all dress as the Spectre are able to kidnap James Corrigan while he and the Spectre have their bodies separated. Mm-hmm. So that then the Spectre has, is... And somehow then, maybe because of the way they've drugged Corrigan, the Spectre can't find Corrigan's body to get it back. Yeah, he's um, what's it when you use the symbols and it like wards ward? That's the word I'm looking for. Right. You, which is another good Batman word in a very different context. <laughs> but I, I, I think one of the flaw, one of the, so even though I really like these two issues, I as I rethink about them, there's lots of little logic holes that I wish were plugged up. It's not made clear how they set the two of them are separated and how the Spectre cannot find his host again, or what the price to the specter is to be without a host. How necessary is the host, right? So the stakes are left up to our imagination, I guess. They're somewhat ambiguous, but I I would say, but that's bothering you. To me, I'm almost happier for it because if we had to have that, I'd almost swear if we unpacked all of that, we'd have another issue. Right, well, maybe it, you know, even though I like that it's two, although I feel like just a little bit more information in these two issues could have resolved my issues with it. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the scene where he is separated from, you know, uh, the Spectre is beginning, is, is busy exploding the body of one of the false Spectres, mm-hmm. while the other ones are grabbing James Corrigan and injecting him with something. And the next thing you know, the specter turns around. It's almost like he's been so involved in exploding this guy's body that he didn't notice anything else around him. And um, and Corrigan and all the other specters are gone, or the fakes, the people dressed as specters, people from this cult. Uh-huh. I don't know if they ever named the cult. The cult um, of the specter. I, I don't know. Right. Um, they the their main quality is they tend to repeat the same thing over and over again. Like the host must die, long live the host. Well, I mean, they're a cult. Cults are big on chanting. That follows. So they have they have some kind of whole plan for stealing the Spectre away from Corrigan. But so then, because the Spectre can't find Corrigan, he goes off to find Batman to help him find his host or his host body mm-hmm. or what have you. And then I have no complaints beyond that. Um, he and Bat, you know, first Batman is like, <laughs> there's this giant creature and I have to escape from him. And eventually they they come to a settlement and team up and agree to try to solve this mystery together, mm-hmm. including Batman extracting a promise from the Spectre. If I help you, you won't kill anyone mm-hmm. on this mission. Mm-hmm. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. So you weren't bothered by that. No. Well, and so part of it is, as you're talking about that problem with him being so focused on the vengeance and whatnot, um, I recall reading an issue uh, when Hal Jordan was the Spectre. And, oh, really? Uh, something about the ending of the Spectre versus Hal Jordan um, ended up in a similar situation where Hal Jordan kind of pointed out, you're so focused on punishing this person who you thought did wrong that you didn't take the time to, like, really make sure they did it or that there wasn't anything else going on Uh and kind of like 
tried to impress on the specter like just kind of honest police work kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> ideals um it, it was a small beat in a larger story but it, it was a very similar thing and so for me this felt similar though maybe somewhat annoying that god's wrath wouldn't uh retain a lesson though technically yeah. this might not be the same specter due to multiverse shenanigans uh but it, it played true for me and played to what i understand the specter to be which i don't have a full picture of i've i've read little bits uh. of pieces but it's not a character i i would care to delve through the entire history of but the idea of it is fun to tap into from time to time uh i i think as an entity in dc it's interesting uh as a character to follow month to month maybe not so much but that's also my opinion of the hulk so what do i know right i have pulled out a large run of specter comics from 50 cent boxes that i haven't read yet so i only know the specter as someone who appears every now and then in other things like a <clears throat> Swamp Thing story here, or something, a Batman story there, or a Fifty Cent box. Well, but I haven't read the. <laughs> I know. I'm saying oh yeah, he lurks up. in the Fifty Cent boxes. Yeah, wreaking his vengeance. <laughs> now, one almost looking on this reread of it, looking at the pages where he's blowing apart the guy's body and not noticing that his uh, other self is being kidnapped. Uh, it's almost like he's in the midst of uh, sexual activity and can't notice anything else. I don't know. I don't know about that. Uh, I didn't get that out of that, but okay. anyway, he's so into his violent vengeance that he um, misses out on anything else that's going on, mm-hmm. which is a pretty key thing. I guess I I both want to know how they some lip service to how they really fooled him and a little more and also a little more about the con- the physical connection to Corrigan and, and what that's all about why he needs it at all well maybe it's time to read through those uh, 50 cent issues and get their value maybe maybe i you're right i mean those stakes aren't super clear i just kind of for my mind i got a sense that you know it's not the order of things and it is against god's will Mm -hmm. as it were as per the specter and him are supposed to be together and that is all of that and so it's bad wrong and it needs fixing and i almost don't want to hear any hard rules about that because i feel like they'd be broken anyways and everything with the specter i i like the looser rules on kind of like uh sandman or something because if you get too specific in that then if anything could perceive to be breaking against it, it almost can take away from the story or make you get lost in the details when it's supposed to be magical anyways. There should be some ambiguity and some wiggle room. Okay, I'll give you that, but I... <laughs> but you you want more than there is. And I, there right, is I, I, still, I do think you balance. are right on the on the whole. But um, I just feel it's kind of a central thing that he needs to get Corrigan back. So, well, And they could have even had a couple lines like, without being tied to Corrigan, um, if, like, if you think I'm angry now, I, I'm embodied right. wrath. Without that anchor, uh, <laughs> a Jay well, Walker could he, get it. <laughs> maybe he can't even stay on Earth very long if he's not anchored to a human being. If it was supernatural. Because he's a supernatural spectral thing mm-hmm. from heaven. 
um, it's very ironic talking about the specter being from heaven because he's so he is Hellish. the guy who would have destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He's not not what we think of normally when we think of heaven, right? Um, those of us who think about heaven. So then, in the in the second issue, we see Corrigan captured by this cult, and they obviously think by using his body they're going to get control of the specter. Mm-hmm. Um, and beyond that, we aren't told anything. Apparently, they're human beings, um, maybe with some magical knowledge. I guess. I mean, they have to have some right to even know about the specter and then the tie and yada yada um we we don't even know if they have a leader or what they plan to do with the specter it's very pared down into what's right what's at stake but the cult of the divine hand compels you they say that a lot <laughs> so there you go that's their name the divine hand not the cult of the specter i i uh yeah i i find it weird that they think that's gonna work when you imagine it would be jim or James spirit that would be the right. anchor. So, yeah. But anyway, then we have cool stuff is Batman has, is doing his detective work and the specter shows up in his cave and at first inhabits the giant dinosaur statue that Batman keeps in his cave <laughs> for some reason. And then we, and we are given an origin story for the specter, which doesn't tell us a whole lot, except that Corrigan wanted was killed and wanted vengeance and so was brought back to life with his connection to the specter which i think is interesting i mean pairing off batman right like that's relatable right but a different side of the coin i don't know this could be played up i kind of like this bold and the bold team up you know brave and the bold well that's what i'm saying like they're (laughs) brave and the bald team up is what i'm looking forward to (laughs) With Lex? <laughs> or with me. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and he's presented as basically fulfilling the needs of the recently dead to have vengeance, that that's his role, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool and, and does parallel Batman in a sense. You know, Batman is vengeance against all criminals for the death of his family or so that no other child will have to go through what he went through and that sort of thing. The anti-orphan maker. <laughs> of course, the the Spectre is not trying to stop people before they kill, I suppose. Not that I noticed Batman trying to stop people before they kill. Um, right. But maybe sometimes he succeeds at that. That's just quibbling. Um, <laughs> so eventually they follow some clues and they go and they um, interrogate people who are already in jail. They sneak into the jail cell. The Spectre by coming up out of the toilet. And then we get that scene you talked about where Batman gets to play the good cop. And that that is a classic line. Right. And the clues lead them to this old church. I love actually when they crash in the door and the Spectre says, I smell innocent blood. (laughs) I think the Spectre is the kind of character, I imagine, best used in contrast to some other character because he becomes so ridiculous seeming next to Batman in a good way. Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree. You presume to raise a knife against me, fool? Yeah, they get into a fight that's pretty uh, short-lived. Right. And the, the cult people just keep repeating their phrase. You know, the cult of the divine hand will find a new host. Mm-hmm. Um, the host must die, long live the host. They So they are either 
brainwashed zombie type people <laughs> or just incredible true believers who even as they're being killed or potentially killed or beat up um just keep repeating the same thing i mean but i mean they're, they're the big bad cult and uh and then in in the midst of fighting them off the specter breaks his breaks his promise does he yeah the the place goes ablaze and no but that's one of the cult members he purposefully shoots up mm-hmm. he looks like the specter because all the cult members are just right. like the specter which is confusing. right he shoots up at the ceiling mm-hmm. um and, and then... shouts we have failed rain of purification cleanse us so somehow he's shot stuff that's causing a fire which doesn't really make sense it's like a support incendiary beams, grenade. Weak... Oh, so there was already a fire. Did the did the specter start that fire? I mean, it's from the candles being knocked over onto the wood while I see. in the skirmish. I see. So then... they decide to kill themselves. Um, and Batman wants to save them, and they shout, "Purify us!" Right. And the specter saves Batman by giving him a slapping him with a giant hand. Well, right out of the no, chair. no, Batman's going to save him, and the specter swats him away. Oh, Batman's off to there's f- save them, and the Spectre keeps him from saving them. Right. Well, that's but the the whole church is now totally in flames. So this is that part's confusing. I hadn't even noticed that before. You save me, but someone's alive in there. He's screaming. The night what? isn't over, and neither is what you swore to me. So he swore for one night to not kill. Mm-hmm. And so the Spectre goes back in and pulls out the bad guy. Right. Says satisfied, promise kept, and we never see or hear from that bad guy after that. I was hoping for like a little ex, little something said by the bad guy to meet, yeah, some last revelation about his cult or something. So yeah, I'm sorry I misspoke. The Spectre almost breaks his promise until Batman calls him uh-huh. on it, basically. And well, it's unclear. Could Batman have saved more people if the Spectre hadn't slapped him out, or did the Spectre save Batman by slapping him out of the church just in time? And then this is one of my favorite bits because this is like quintessential Batman to me. Turning to Corrigan saying, I can't, I can't have you continuing to operate in my city. Corrigan says basically he's going back to New York. Batman's like, good. Basically, you know, the problem's fine as long as it's that, somewhere else. That was kind of your convenient ending, right? And Batman's not worried about, you know, criminals being murdered in other cities just in his. <laughs> right. Which is one of my favorite things about Batman. <laughs> New York City barely exists in the DC universe. It's only referred to occasionally. Occasionally some hero or group will have their operations in New York City, but then they forget about it again. Right. So, I don't know. It's just such a fast, punchy issue. Yeah, it's a little messy. It's not perfect. It's right. not the greatest comic ever made. Yeah, but... sorry that I picked it apart a bit. Cause I no, 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 and you should. from your main point. No, 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 you're not at all. My, my point is, is even though this wasn't perfect, this was fun, and now we're ready for the next. Though, I have to admit, when I saw next Joker, I kind of groaned. because yeah, I did too. I love the Joker, though. I just... Too many, pe- too many people playing with the Joker at once. Too many Joker stories. Well, I feel like everybody wants to leave like their mark on the Joker, right? They don't want to just right. tell a good Joker story. Uh, and... Mm. I don't know. Maybe they feel like, you know, if we don't do enough Joker stories, our sales are going to lag or something. Maybe. But I would love to see if there was an uptick in sales with these two issues, just for how sort of old school the covers were. 
and then the inside. You know, you read the first, you might buy the first issue just because you love this old school cover, which really in a lot of ways with the, the specter looming over the city just evokes a lot of Bronze Age and even Golden Age uh, kind of Batman. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then if you like the first issue, like I was really keen for the second issue after reading that first one. And I'd been kind of less excited about detective than you. Right. I like that Arkham Knight villain. And I thought she, uh, she was fun and different and not just yeah, another yeah. playing the same thing, but yeah. No, I, I don't blame you for liking it. <laughs> I just didn't like it as much as you, but I was really excited. I think, 1006 got me even more excited because 1007, as you sort of see from my nitpicking, didn't quite deliver as much of the story as I wanted. Right. But I don't think if they had stretched this out for more issues, they would have delivered any anything more that I wanted. Right. They would have just stretched it for its mm-hmm. own sake. Mm-hmm. No. So this is a great example of how modern comics could do great two-issue stories. And I think we could use more. Because yes, we're more. we're hurting for the from these you know, you know, you, creators have like a year long run with a character, and then they only tell two stories. It's kind of ridiculous, right? Right, and that some you know some stories don't even end in six issues. Some stories just drag on for twelve or eighteen issues. Really, mm-hmm. it, anyway, um, and that whole feeling of. I love that feeling of Batman passing through all these weird stories. It's like this is his brief moment of experiencing the weirdness of Jim Cor- James Corrigan and the Spectre. He gets a taste of it, then he moves on and deals with something else. Um, I, I feel like the stories don't always have to be all about the Batman family and his relationship with the Joker and what Gotham means to me and all of that stuff. Well, that's the bat. That's what the Batman book should be doing. The other nice thing about this is this was detective comics and you had two characters following leads or the case and then getting it done, having a detective story, maybe not the most clever one, but, but a good satisfying one overall. Yeah. Yeah. Some good, good little detective moments and good cop, bad cop moments. So let's hope that there's, but there's uh, more coming like this. Yeah. So was there anything else on this or you? No, I did read one other Batman story in the last week or two that I liked. Oh, what was that? Well, well but it was the beginning of a series that's probably 12 issues, I suppose. Yeah. But it, it's um, the reprint of Brian Michael Bendis's Walmart stories. <laughs> okay. With artist Nick Darrington. And I think, you know, kind of like this one, this detective one that had really great art, the artist on this Batman universe, as, as it's called, is a really cool kind of artist. I don't know if you read uh, the um, Young Animals Doom Patrol, but he was the artist on that. Oh, and okay. he was the artist on all the covers of um, Mr. Miracle. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I felt like Bendis and this artist were giving us a fun Batman story. Uh, maybe because they were ri- originally writing for the Walmart audience and not the regular audience. They didn't feel like they had to overdo things or something. That's interesting. But it, it was Batman, you know, trying to solve a crime and follow the, figure out what the Riddler was up to. And it was kind of cool. Yeah. Good Riddler story is hard to come by and that's great. 
Yeah, we'll have to see if the whole series continues to satisfy me. And that's one of the problems I've always had with Bendis is a strong start and it yeah. doesn't carry through often. So, yeah. And there's lately there's been a lot of Bendis that just has kind of belly flopped for me. So when you were talking to me about uh, some kind of mini controversy in the comic sphere with Dan DiDio talking about uh, facsimile editions and reprint comics possibly selling better than some current issues according to him right and um so what was your reaction to that when you first read it It, to me it was i didn't know dc was doing that at all so there's that right (laughs) uh but also me thinking like well there could be different factors here like they're highlighting probably key issues right uh big ones that people want to find a cheaper into and maybe there's some confusion over facsimile versus real so some people might have thought they got a steal when in fact uh not so much right or they think it or maybe even though it's a reprint they think that the collectability of it will rub off over time which i've seen that happen with reprints before i have a reprint of a superman spider-man meeting that was very note like it's noted on the cover that it's a reprint and i've looked it up and that's actually worth you know chunk so. yeah so it's possible and i i feel like there's a whole group of people who are scouring the world of single issues for things they think might be collectible mm-hmm. uh, it seems like a faint hope to me you know like we we're talking about the variant covers but it seems like something a certain group of people really enjoy doing <laughs> it's their way of enjoying single issues and it's funny to me having dove into more of the spider-man nuance side of that um finding issues that are worth a pretty penny for what's a random issue of spider-man that end Mm -hmm. up being collected and trade and the trade is worth less than that one single issue wow so it happens a lot but this is a lot of this can be the kind of thing that if you sold it at the right time you'd make a lot of money and if you wait six months then maybe you won't make so much money true I'm hoping that happens with Batman Damned because I kind of want to read that. <laughs> well, if you come here in September for the con, you can read my copy. Oh, okay. <laughs> or you can read it in trade because I'm sure it'll come out in trade. Yeah, now I'll just wait for the trade at and this point. And it will turn out to be a waste of your time. <laughs> I was loving Batman Damned and then I hated it on the final issue. <sighs> Damn it. So the other thing that people conclude from that, I think, is that, oh, you know, comics suck now and old comics are much better. Right. Which I had that inkling, too. And it's really easy to give into that cynicism, right? And the pro- right. the big thing about the article was Dan DiDio was. <laughs> right. But he was kind of sad about it. I mean, he doesn't. Some articles implied he didn't want. He didn't. He was kind of against doing these reprints and having them compete with his current comics. Well, look, no one wants the new Fifty Two OMAC. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, that one's over and done with. I wanted it. I bought every issue. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but but like for instance, I have in front of me because I haven't seen the DC ones yet. I have the X Men um, facsimile edition, and. What can be said for this is you read this one issue and that's all you have to read. It's a one and done story. Yeah. So it could be that, you know, when people people see these old comics, they know they're going to be one and done stories. You're yes, you're paying three ninety nine for it, but you only have to pay three ninety nine once to get that story. And that was a nice thing about this 
two-issue story in Batman Detective. Right. Well, you bring up X-Men, and I've been bemoaning that this morning. <laughs> yeah, I saw some tweets. I wasn't quite sure what you were on about, because I don't know if you're reading X-Men right now, or, or, or and I'm not reading the announcements about X-Men. I just I, know Hickman's taking it. I've over. read some of the recent X-Men, which was part of a relaunch that was coming out of another relaunch that itself was coming out of another relaunch, and... Eh, like every two to three years now, they've been relaunching the X-Men one way or another ever since Bendis relaunched it, which was forever ago now. That's the last time I read the X-Men was on right. relaunch. And so they have, and the X-Men have been subject to all kinds of shenanigans with the movie deals and then trying to get the comics right and then people trying to redo it. Currently they're in the, um, we're just going to play the nostalgia phase uh, with, I believe it's Rosenberg writing, and I've read a few of those issues, and they are cringeworthy by my estimation. They're really like I I know my X Men lore pretty well. I'm definitely not an expert by any means, but me picking this up, like I felt like I should have known what was going on, but I was still missing beats. And I remember reading a couple pages and being like, "How many references are they packing in?" I counted uh, twelve references to older stories in two pages. And I was like, "How can anyone be expected to follow this unless they have an encyclopedic knowledge of the X Men?" Uh, so, mm, that was a bummer. So, are you happy that Hickman will be taking over and that they're kind of make a bit of a harder reboot? A little bit, I think. I was waiting to hear some details. Honestly, I was planning on waiting until the issues came out before judging. And here's the thing. I don't know if what Hickman is doing will be the greatest X-Men run ever, the worst X-Men run ever, most likely somewhere in between, right? That doesn't matter to me, though. Because what they're doing is they're relaunching X-Men and they're having two books. One to cover weird x-men history stuff that they want to cover apparently and one to cover moving the x-men forward with the mini i mm, okay great we don't need that right now we just need to have a good x-men book just have one make it good sell it that's all we need right now they don't well do isn't that. that an improvement over like four or five or six x-men books as often one sees well right now they're doing the thing where um there are some x some extra books out there but really it's uncanny a couple times a month oh okay which i much prefer that model uh but right now i mean x-men in particular there's so much confusion there's so much noise just give us one good book and instead they're starting off with these two minis that launch into an x-line relaunch so then we get Uh... x-men but then we also get X-Force and Excalibur, and maybe there's others. I, I kind of stopped looking. But what bothers me about it is this X-Force is supposed to be replaying and playing up X-Force. But it's really like X-Men Blue. There's a bunch of X-Men characters and maybe two old X-Force characters in there, including Domino, who's has her own solo right now, so she has some cachet. And then like Excalibur has like Gambit and I think Beast and... Uh, looked like Psylocke, I believe. Maybe I'm mixing these up. But I mean, like, it was a bunch of X-Men characters again, and not the Excalibur characters. <laughs> and in particular, I find Gambit on Excalibur somewhat distressing. I know it wasn't purely British, but it was mostly, you know, European on Excalibur. 
And then to just have a cage in there feels like, no, part of the joy of having these books and doing it was like, we got these different focuses so we could have diversity and see different angles and get different ideas and have different characters again, but then have it make sense so it didn't have that right. Captain Planet feel of, you know, everybody under the rainbows here and they all get along. <laughs> like, there's something more to it that was a little more substantive. But when I, I don't know, when I've dipped into things, they never feel, I mean, it's for a very long time, I've always felt like it's just uh, juggling around titles and the titles don't mean much for what the titles used to mean and stuff. It feels like this has been going on a long time. That's fair. That's fair. I just. But I can see if you were looking forward to, when I first heard the Hickman announcement, I thought, okay, maybe it's going to be essentially like just having one x book to read Mm -hmm. with these two miniseries but i didn't realize so that those are just the hard stop to then relaunch a whole family of books Uh a la what they're doing with spider-man right now i suppose well spider-man just exploded with numbers of books i mean there's spider related books as someone who's basically buying all of them and i i hit a point where i just said no and i started cutting off some um yeah, there's a metric ton of Spider-Man books. Uh, but if you really just want to be following the the new hotness, you follow Amazing. And then uh, all the .hus with Hunted, which was annoying, I'm sure, but it was invisible to me. And then if you want the slightly better Spider-Man book, you can be picking up Spectacular. And then why do you pick up Friendly Neighborhood? Or, I mean, I'm sorry, you pick a Friendly Neighborhood, which in my mind is spectacular, but it's Friendly Neighborhood, not spectacular. It's I don't... in the spectacular position. Yes, it's the B-book. And then you get to your <clears throat> other characters, basically. There's a superior Spider-Man, there's a Black black Cat. Uh, there's the life story right now, but that's very definitively like its own thing, its own miniseries. Symbiote, life story, there's various yeah. Venom and Carnage-related things going on. And Venom's almost its own... Universe now. ...thing. Yeah. And there's the Miles book, and there's the Gwen book, um, but those follow those characters. They are separate. I was quite shocked to realize that the uh, Silver Surfer miniseries that I'm reading right now is actually part of the Venom universe and part of the Venom story. I didn't know they did that. I knew Cates was on it, but I didn't know he was... So the main antagonist is someone named Null, spelled oh. Yeah, yeah, that's the big... And there's bad. now stuff about times in the past where where the surfer has visited a planet just made up of venoms. Mm. And and it's called Silver Surfer Black. Mm-hmm. And so far his hands turn black and then his arms turn black. Is he going to be venomized? I'm almost wondering. Oh, they got to play it so. up. Though, <laughs> that's not... So there's a old two-issue Amazing Spider-Man story where Surfer's Silver Surfer gets carnage-ized and they have oh, really? to fight oh, that. Of course. And it's a really corny, bad issue. Uh, we covered it on... Maybe yeah. we're getting like a Donny Cates-verse within the Marvel Universe that's going to tie all the Donny Cates books together. Well, if you go back, there's a lot of writers who basically did that. That's a lot of what Starlin did, and that's how Thanos got built up. Right, there's You're a lot of right about Starlin, yeah. I mean, Claremont, yes, but also that feels kind of like an Not unfair comparison. Yeah. When but he... You're right, and I feel like there's other authors who've done that, too. And I mean, there's definitely ties. Like, I, 
Ironically, I don't think Dan Slott did a ton of that. Like, there wasn't a lot of She-Hulk in Spider-Man or right. something like and that. And there was no Spider-Man in his Silver Surfer run. Right. But yeah, so if you are really into the Venomverse at the moment, you need to get Silver Surfer Black, I think. Oh, well, she hadn't told bet, me that because I have to. it will all tie back in. <laughs> now I, I have. could send you my digital codes if you want. I'm going to buy them and they have to be physical. <laughs> okay. Hey, you know what? They're beautiful books. Uh, you have to be in the mood for very surreal art, I suppose. That's fine. Oh, I wanted to tell you about a book I landed. So... I now imagine you fishing with a giant fishing rod in a sea of books. <laughs> and then landing the book. I, uh, throwing some back and then finding others that you can keep. I kind of did. I, I have not spent this much on a comic in a darn long time. But when I saw it, I had to grab it. It is the first Mr. <gasps> a. The real Mr. A. Yeah. Because I gave you the reprint of that. Yeah. But so now you have the collector's edition. Wow. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, this is a magazine size print. <clears throat> I just, this is. Yeah. And it may actually have slightly different material in it. So I'm not positive. I, I haven't read this one yet. I've been kind of waiting. This was. Uh... So you're now a real collector, a Ditko collector. Mm hmm. It was 60 bucks. I just couldn't say no. I was going to say, like I said, I was on a work trip. And so when I got back from my little excursion, they're like, what you're doing? I was like, uh, I was just uh, buying some comics. They started really grilling me on it. And I was trying to explain to them why this was a find and why it was so rare. And <laughs> I don't think it quite came through. But they didn't know who Ann Rand was. Sorry, I was. I thought at one point maybe we could do a show on Mr. A and stuff but then I, it's also like it's so one note that maybe there's not a lot to talk about there yeah it's it's cool that uh ditko has his vision and it's fun to read them but i don't know if there's a lot beyond that you know yeah i mean we a, could a equals a black is black white is white yeah i there's some stuff in in here i think it could be fun to talk about because it's uh, have you ever heard about um when ditko remarked on warshak from watchmen I feel like you might have told me that before, but I can't. Yeah. So tell I, me again. I, it, what Dicko apparently said was, oh, oh, he's like Mr. A, but crazy. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it, it's funny when you read these stories because you see this like, you could almost see the cracks of reality breaking through. And then they just don't happen it's it's such a it's so hard to read it's so surreal but it's honestly i don't if the notoriety wasn't there i don't think i ever would have dug in on it but uh it's right if it was just some person you never heard of doing a comic about mr a i mean i'd still want a uh if there's like one good issue i'd still want to read it but uh yeah not like the way i've dug in on this and yeah something it's something else man well, you know, I mean, I like that Ditko really believed what he was saying. <laughs> um, even though I can't help but see the world in shades of gray. Right. But somehow I like that he doesn't. <laughs> I kept wanting to write him a letter. I kept thinking, well, because I ha was buying all these current comics from him, and I heard if you write him a letter, he'll write you back. And I didn't want to write him a fan letter about the past. I wanted to write him about what he was currently doing so i thought well when i catch up 
with these uh, issues of Steve Ditko zines that he's been putting out, I'll write him a letter. Then, of course, it came too late. Oh, well. That's, that's life. <laughs> well, he is staying dead. Yes. Yes, he is. So perhaps we can end it there with uh, Steve Ditko's death. <clears throat> okay. Well, uh, we this podcast does not stay dead. We will be back soon. Woohoo!